Brian Shepherd joins me this morning. Brian is uh, the head of our counseling center here, one of our ministers on staff. And so uh, I'm always glad to be able to share uh, the stage with Brian. Uh, we actually go back quite a long time. We were in graduate school together, even though, Brian, I don't think we had any classes at the same time. Uh, you went a little bit different route, even though we studied under many of the same teachers. And so uh, if occasionally we kind of sound alike, that may be the reason for that. Uh, Brian, if you don't mind, give us an update on the Counseling Center. Are we back fully open? How's that working? And uh, what, what services are available? Could you give us an update? Well, it's certainly been an interesting year, uh, but we are back fully open. Uh, we had to shut down a couple of different times because of being exposed to COVID, but uh, we're fully open now and seeing folks, and uh, we've been uh, a good bit busier as well. Uh, folks are taking advantage of that. We we have the office set up so that we can social distance as needed and that sort of thing. We've tried to maintain uh, a cleaning policy and those sorts of things. But I've been vaccinated uh, both times, and uh, I can tell you it's kind of interesting. Once you get both of those vaccinations, you feel a little bit bulletproof. Uh, <laughs> I've enjoyed that. You know, I feel like I can go eat somewhere, and it's maybe not going to kill me. So. I've been uh, blessed with that, but we are fully open and uh, would invite any of you that uh, may benefit from that to just let us know and set up an appointment with Carolyn, and we'd be happy to see if we can be of some help to you. You know, Brian, you have been so helpful to me over the years. Before even coming to Hendersonville, I was constantly referring people to you, and of course, I'm sure Brian got a little tired because I would give out his private cell number, and I would say, here, call this guy up, tell him you know Les Chapman. I did, and, I did, yes. I yes, did. yes, yeah. I figured you did. And so I'm sure he would hang up with, uh, on people when, when they told him that. But no, Brian's always been so kind. Uh, there have been times that I've called him up and said, Brian, I need to come see you, uh, not as a friend, but as a client. And he's always been good. And also, let me tell you something special about this brother. Occasionally, he'll just come in my office, sit down, and just look at me and say, how are you doing? How are you doing? He cares about the staff here at Hendersonville. And Brian, thank you. Appreciate that so very much. We are in our series called Move, looking specifically at incidents in the life of David that are then reflected in some of the Psalms. Uh, we've looked at David being anointed by Samuel. We've looked at David going into Saul's service as a player of the lyre. And of course, in that process, really beginning to ramp up his career after he killed Goliath. We've looked at the incident of where he finally, after having got to kind of the peak of his success, Saul becomes jealous, he's forced to flee, and so he ends up going, uh, he goes to Samuel, the old prophet, we'll look at that here in just a moment. Uh, He meets with his best friend Jonathan, he goes down to the tabernacle, which results in a terrible uh, killing of all the priests by Doeg, one of the uh, officials in Saul's uh, government. And then we looked last week of Saul, uh, you know, pursuing David so much that David thought, I've got to leave Israel. And so he goes of all places to Gath. Now, if you don't remember, Gath is the hometown of Goliath. And he thinks that he can go there and hide. Only problem is, the Philistines knew him well. He had killed many of them in battle. Plus, the text seems to imply, it doesn't say it, 
But it seems to imply that he goes to Gath wearing Goliath's sword. Which, by the way, is something you don't do. You know, you don't, you don't steal a gun from somebody and then go to their house wearing that gun on your side. And so he makes a really bad mistake, and he gets there. They recognize him. They bring him before the king of Gath, intending, basically, probably to execute him. Perhaps even with Goliath's sword. I can picture them saying, let's take the sword, do to him what he did to Goliath. And David kind of goes bananas. He, he feigns insanity. He starts slobbering on his beard. That's why I don't have a beard there, right? It's not the only reason. but Yeah, yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> and, and so he slobbers on his beard. He scratches on the door. He acts crazy. And, and Achish, the king of Gath, says, get rid of this guy. Get rid of him. He's crazy. Don't I have enough madmen? I don't need another one. And God works through that incident for him to escape. Now, we, we come to Psalm 34 today. A psalm that is... Uh, it's in a class of psalms that are kind of special in that it is known as an acrostic psalm. Now, now put very simple, an acrostic is where you take letters. Sometimes they're words, sometimes they're not. In this case, it's not. But you take letters in a word or a series of letters, and you then develop sentences from them. Brian, one of my favorite sermons that's so easy to remember is how do you get joy? I don't know if you've ever preached it, but it's, it's passed around. This sermon outline has been passed around from preacher to preacher to preacher. But you take the word joy, J-O-Y, and where does joy come from? Well, here's where it comes from. The J stands for Jesus. Jesus has got to be first. He's got to be first in your life or you'll never know joy. Then the O, O stands for others. You've got to put others second. And then the Y stands for yourself. You need to, you need to come last. And if you'll keep that priority in your life, then you'll develop joy in your life. It's just a very simple acrostic that a lot of preachers like because if you're in a tie, you can preach a sermon from it. Well, this is an acrostic uh, psalm based on, of all things, the Hebrew alphabet. And that's what you see up here on the screen. This is from the Hebrew Bible. Now, there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, uh, several short of what we have in our English alphabet. And so this particular psalm, if you'll open your Bibles to Psalm 34, you'll see it has 22 verses. Each verse, notice the very first one, the letter that that, uh, and by the way, you need to understand something about Hebrew. Hebrew reads from right to left, not left to right. You see, we, we read from left to right. The Jews read from right to left. If you take a Hebrew Bible, Genesis is back here. It's at the back of, of our Bibles. They call it the front of their Bibles. And so it starts with Genesis here, and the last book in the Hebrew Bible is at the front, which is Second Chronicles. And so you're like, well, boy, that's kind of backwards. Uh, the Jews would look at us and say we're kind of backwards because they were doing it long before us. But the first letter you see up there is the letter Aleph, our letter A. Notice the next one in the line is their letter Bet, our letter B. Okay, you're kind of seeing a pattern here, right? Their next letter there is Gimel. Now, in the Hebrew alphabet, it's A-B-G, not A-B-C. And uh, we somehow changed that over time because, again, theirs is much older alphabet. Their fourth letter is the Dalit, D. 
And so their alphabet begins A, B, G, D, as opposed to ours going C, D. And then it goes all the way down, and it includes all 22 uh, letters. And, and what it is meant to do is help you memorize the, uh, the song. I, I don't know about you, Brian. Uh, how did you memorize the alphabet, English alphabet? I don't recall. You don't recall? No. All right, in Mississippi, we did it this way. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I. Y- y'all didn't do that in West Virginia? I think we did. Okay. okay. I just didn't recall. I figured it would come back once I started singing it to you. Yeah, I learned the alphabet as a song. And and so you you have these memory techniques. I I think about the books in the New Testament. If it hadn't been for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I would have probably had a hard time with it. And so this is a way of simply memorizing the text. Now, very quick background. David's been forced to flee. Saul's after him. He's gone first to, uh, had to leave his, his wife, McCall. Uh, Brian and I were talking. He said, why do you keep calling her McCall? And I said, well, that's how you pronounce it in Hebrew. And you said? We aren't Hebrew. Yeah, we're not Hebrews. <laughs> he said, I grew up hearing it called Michael. And, and he's right. We re- usually refer to her as Michael. But in Hebrew, it would be McCall with the emphasis on the last. But anyway, he separated from his wife. And by the way, from last week you saw Saul gave her to somebody else, Brian. Had to be an incredible blow to David, knowing that. He goes to Samuel. Samuel's an old man by now. In fact, he's so old that he's going to die during this period of of Saul trying to catch David. He goes to Jonathan, splits up their friendship. He goes to the priest. They get killed. And so he finally goes down among the Philistines. And, of course, that's where he has to act crazy. And after being delivered from the Philistines... He goes, and at some point in time, and we don't know why, he goes and he writes Psalm 34. And and what Psalm 34 allows us to do is to see what's going on in David's mind through his own eyes and his own words. Uh, That's one reason, Brian, I ask you to, to be on this, because when you read texts like this, you read them quite differently than I do because of your profession. Uh, Brian t- will oftentimes tell me, I see something different going on in the text. And, uh, uh, and, and that's because of your counseling background. I don't see through those lenses. And I appreciate your insights because you really do see things that I don't see. And so I wanted him to kind of share that today. Uh, notice the heading here of David. This is a psalm of David. When he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, Abimelech is kind of the Philistine name for king. Uh, his actual name was different from that. He had a personal name. Uh, who drove him away and he left. And so here David is reflecting back on this incident. And he writes this beautiful acrostic poem. We can't show it in English because our English alphabet doesn't work that way. But it's a beautiful way of memorizing it. And so he begins, and I believe, Blake, this is the text you read. Blake, uh, Blake's up there reading the text, and I'm like, whoa, that's the opening text of our passage this morning. Because he begins with praise. This is what we heard. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted first hint at what David had gone through. Let the afflicted... Uh, hear and rejoice, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name. 
He's come out of this horrible moment where he's literally at the end of his rope and God has rescued him and all he can do is say, I I just give God the praise. Uh, I hope June don't mind me saying this, uh, but June got her second shot yesterday. And so she's fully vaccinated now. We got in the car to leave from the doctor's office and she said, can we pull over and pray? Very appropriate. Very appropriate to give God thanks for, you know, bringing us at least to this point in our lives. David does the same thing here. And so notice, though, the next paragraph where David begins now to kind of reflect on where he's been. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Remember what David had to do. He had to slobber. He had to have spittle, literally, dripping off of his face. You're talking about shame. And here he says, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are not covered with that. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. And so my first question, Brian, to you is, David panics. He gets caught in a situation where it's, I mean, it's tough. As the question goes, this past year, not, not just the ordinary things that you deal with, you know, deaths, divorces, difficulties in marriage, uh, losses of jobs. I mean, the list goes on and on. How has COVID maybe complicated that, intensified that? Reflect on that just a little bit and what you're seeing as far as what other people are saying about where our nation is emotionally right now. I think one of the things that first comes to mind is whether it's the work that I do or just everyday life or even the the text that we're looking at this morning, I think there are two things that we primarily observe. One is we can observe the way people think. We can kind of see that in the way that they behave. Um, You always hope that your thinking is ahead of your behavior. When it's not, oftentimes that kind of gets us in trouble. Uh, But then you can also oftentimes know how someone is feeling. And you can see those emotions coming out. And that's a big part of making up how we interact really with one another. And over this year, uh, I think because of COVID, but also because of so many other things, we have been challenged with regard to how we think about things. And we've been sometimes, I think, uh, surprised by some of the feelings that we've experienced. When you look at David in this psalm, one of the things that you start to see with him is you see the fear. You see the fear in him. David does not have the protection of being King David. He's just David. And therefore, he is very vulnerable. And that, uh, that's a mirror in many ways to something in the past that we've experienced over this past year, uh, fear. Fear is something that we oftentimes experience at uh, different levels. But when we see the intense fear that David experienced, we might call that panic. David's panicking. And when we panic, there's an interesting thing that occurs physiologically. When we panic, we oftentimes trigger what's called an adrenal response 
or your adrenaline. We all know about that. You get uh, superhuman strength, but there's a rather unique thing that happens with an adrenal response, and that is your body starts to shut down its reasoning ability. When you have an adrenaline rush, your body recognizes you need to do usually one of two things, fight or flee. Now, some include freeze in that, and I get that, but mostly we either fight what we're faced with or we want to get away from it. And if you think about what David experienced and also what we've experienced over this past year, you can easily see that a lot of what we've done this year has been fight things or flee things. And it's been my observance over this past year that many of us have had those panic experiences. I've watched a lot of us, as we've gone through this, kind of come to some of those panic responses. Not everybody has, but a lot of folks. And when they do, you can see those extremes showing up. And you can see the lack of reflection and the lack of thought behind some of the behaviors and some of the emotion. So it's easy to see that with David. It's also easy to see how we've done that. Uh, people that have overreacted at times to the things that we're facing. And then the other end of that is the folks that have underreacted. And we've seen those extremes. And what's really interesting is sometimes you find out one's not working, so you go to the other. And both of those are panic responses. So we want to be careful as we continue to work our way through this to manage our thoughts, to manage our feelings, and to recognize when our thinking is just not really uh, on target or up to par with our normal abilities. And sometimes that's a great time to talk to somebody. Um, the best of that is to talk to a good friend. That's where most of us will work through all of this is with a good friend. And that's the ability that I think less than I have is to sit down and, and to talk about things. But when I see this with David, I see David panicking. He's not thinking. And his emotions are all over the place. And that's a bad combination when you're going through difficult times. You see, this past year, a lot of us thought we were prepared. We thought we were prepared for the things that we might experience. But to me, the biggest irony was the very things that we thought we needed, the very things that we were thinking about preparing for, never prepared us to run out of toilet paper. Isn't that interesting? Now, you talk about panic. There was your panic. People rushing to buy all of those different products because we were scared to death we were going to run out. Panic. It shows up in the oddest forms, just like for David. David thinks it's a good idea to go down here and act nuts, and that's what he does. Yeah. In the text there, two words stand out, uh, Brian and... And, and the words are fear and shame. I mean, those are two, and there's some others there as well, but those two really step out. What roles do fear and shame play in our anxious moments? How does that work? How does that play out? You know, when you look at these two words, they, they express some of the difference between, in, in my world, what's called depression and anxiety. When you look at depression or those things that really bring us down or, or cause us to withdraw, that's where we see the shame. Shame and depression oftentimes go together because they are 
associated with things from our past that we tend to hide. We hide those things away. We worry about those things. And there's a whole language that actually goes with those things. So oftentimes we withdraw. We are internal. We shut down. We withdraw from people. And we hide and we feel bad about ourselves. We can feel uh, that shame. And that shame oftentimes brings with it a sense of feeling worthless, hopeless, and helpless. Terrible ways to feel. I mean, it, it's, it's devastating to us to, to experience that. It just shuts us down. But the other part, being anxious. You see, if depression is about much of what we've done or what's happened, anxiety is about what we fear that could happen. And so oftentimes we see those as the two, two ways in which we are focused. So if you think about this during the last year, when you felt a little uh, struggle, what's your struggle been? Has it been more about the things that have already occurred or more about things that might happen to come? Those are the differences, and they really stand out with all of us, whether or not we are somewhat depressed and we're feeling down or whether we're anxious, and that's where David went to. David went to the anxious part. He is experiencing fear because underneath anxiety is always fear. If you're anxious, there is some fear that is beneath that, whether you realize it or not. There's something we're trying to protect. When we're dealing with shame, there's something that we're protecting. So what's the greatest thing we can do? Expose it, bring it out, talk about it, work it through. Same way with anxiety that which we fear the most. And then what do we know mostly about worry? We've been told even by research that 90% or better of what we worry about, it never occurs. That's powerful. That's a lot of wasted mental energy. We're going to run out of time, so we're going to move very quickly if we can. Uh, he, he moves to something fascinating in verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. He moves from his own fear and shame now to all at once this confidence in God. So how does knowing that the angel of the Lord encamps around us help us? How, how does getting recalibrated make a difference in our lives? Well, it's two things. One, there is a physical sense in which we do that. And secondly, there's a mental sense. If you think about either being uh, depressed or anxious with regard to how we are experiencing life, what we tend to do is we withdraw. We go somewhere else, whether that's physiologically or even psychologically. A lot of us have withdrawn. What, three weeks ago, I think, was the first time I had been back in the assembly here in uh, eight or nine months. Amy and I both were trying very hard to stay away from COVID because of the patients that she sees and so that I could keep the practice open. So we decided to stay at home. And, uh, you know, that brought about, as you might uh, be well aware, that brings about its own anxiety. Uh, We had never spent really that much time together. Uh, That was a lot of time together. And the worst part, I went to a shelf, and I, I know we're running... But I went to the shelf, and you know what I found? We knew we had to cook, and I found this Italian cooking book. So I started cooking Italian food. Big mistake. Should have got the Mediterranean cookbook. <laughs> the outcome, it was pastas and breads, and then the next cookbook, pies, cakes, and pastas. 
Not a great idea. But it changed the way we did things, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. Okay. So, you know, David goes and, and basically moves his fear from the anxiousness he had there in Gath to putting it back in the Lord. Where he, yes. Next verse is so beautiful. Verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge there, not in Gath, in the Lord. Fear the Lord, you holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. What, what do you see in that when, when David says, taste and see? What's he doing there? Well, uh, beyond just what occurs in our brain, there is a sense at which we can, through our senses, experience God. There are things that remind us and connect us to God that we see. And it turns out that almost everything that we experience with regard to our faith has a sensory aspect to it. It's really cool to sit up here and see all of you out there. It's encouraging. It's encouraging to see you here. It's encouraging to know that there's a little camera up there and some of folks are watching this from home. The connections that are created that we see, but we're also hearing the singing. The singing, it wasn't quite the same. I enjoyed sitting up here hearing Blake lead singing a lot more than listening to it on my computer at home. The sensory experience, that which we see, hear, smell, taste, and touch, gives us a connection to each other and to God that is powerful. It, it ties us. As a matter of fact, trauma, when we look at trauma experiences, the hardest thing to deal with with folks that have a trauma experience tied to one of their senses. That can be very difficult. You can remember from some trauma experience maybe how something smelled, and those smells will end up actually triggering you to have a flashback. The sensory systems that we have given by God are powerful and unique, and they tie us to things in very special ways, just like it did for David. And as he experiences this, he gives us a glimpse into that world of experiencing God in a very full way with all of our senses. You know, I think of just this morning, us gathering around the table, Mm -hmm. the bread, the fruit of the vine. We taste it. And that taste is, I don't know about you, but growing up, I thought Welch's grape juice was only served at church. You know, I mean, that's just how, you know, if ever mom bought some Welch's grape juice to the house, I almost felt like I couldn't drink it, you know, because of the taste and the remembrances it gave me. Beautiful image there. He goes on and he talks about, if you fear the Lord, what do you do? And you get these beautiful images. Come, my children, listen to me. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Not the fear of Achish, the fear of the Lord. Whoever loves life, desires to see many good days, you keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. And then watch the last phrase. Watch the last phrase. Seek peace. Seek peace. The Hebrew word there is shalom. And, and, and it's bigger, Brian, than our word. I mean, when the Jews heard the word shalom, what did it mean to them? The thing that I think stands out for me in our English language is the word content. To find a way to be content. It doesn't mean we're happy. It doesn't mean everything's going well. But there's a contentment 
a way of living in the midst of all that you're experiencing, both good and bad, both powerful and sometimes uh, devaluing even. But there's a way to find contentment within the way that we live. So even as that greeting is used, I oftentimes think of it in terms of, you know, live contented, live in peace. Yeah, yeah. Uh, beautiful, beautiful. You know, Paul would talk about a peace that God even grants that, that, like you said, deals with the experiential, not the rational. It's beyond understanding, but boy, it's very well experienced. He goes on, and as he gets near the end of the psalm, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. You see God's protection here. His ears are attentive to their cry. But then he contrasts the wicked. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. Very common theme found throughout the Bible. The righteous cry out. The Lord hears them. He delivers them from all of their trouble. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Boy, you're talking about David. And so, you know, why is the knowledge of knowing God is near us when, boy, we're going through the worst times of our lives so important? I think the thing that stands out with that more than anything else is the sense that whether it's depression or anxiety that we experience, uh, they're meant to be temporary places for us. Unless we're talking about some kind of clinical diagnosis, just the normal experiences of being down or being anxious are meant to be temporary places where we experience life. But with this, there's this opportunity to recognize that we in those moments are somewhere else. We are isolated, we are separate, we withdraw. This is God's invitation back into a family. This is God's invitation back into life, to experience life, and to experience, as John 10 and 10 says, to experience at its fullest, with it being full. Full of what? Full of life, full of experience, full of the senses, full of all of the things that God intends us to experience by being a part of this holy family. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects his bones. Not one of them will be broken. You know, in a world where there was no medicine, I can imagine, you know, what would happen if you broke your leg or your arm or something like that. But, but I want to focus especially that word, the righteous person may have many troubles. Why are Christians not exempt from the troubles of life. I knew of people as COVID was raging who had basically preachers who would get up and say, COVID is not going to affect the people of God. Yes, it does. We don't get an exemption on these things. Why is that the case? During the past year, we've learned a lot about our personal theologies. You've learned some things about the way you view God. You've learned that just because you pray doesn't mean it's going to happen. And that's been one of the more difficult things I've heard. Many people have been upset with God. I've heard that over and over. God just did not do what I asked God to do. Somebody I loved got really sick. Somebody I loved died. I've been separated from my grandchildren. I've been separated from my kids. Been okay with that. But I've been separated from my grandkids. That really bothered me. 
What have you gone through that's been difficult for you to experience? Because looking at how God interacts with that, we have found that God doesn't do some things the way we maybe thought he did. And we've not, at times, been very happy about that. Well, that's certainly not a new experience. Lots of folks over the centuries have been upset maybe at the way God has interacted, become angry, become upset. We'd like to think that none of us would, but there are things in life that will panic us and cause us to think and feel things that we normally do not. This past year has been difficult, and it's not over yet. Got a call yesterday about a lady. She's in Vanderbilt right now, and she's not doing well. I hope she makes it. I prayed for her, but I have no idea what's going to happen. He ends with these beautiful words. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Kind of wind us up here, and if you would, then lead us in prayer. You know, aside, aside from what happens to us right now and the way that we experience each other, aside from what we're experiencing right now together, Aside from the fears that we have, see, I know that there's some of you sitting here today that fear is a big part of how you're living right now. There's something you're really afraid of. But it may also be that some of you are dealing with some shame about something as well. So that's why this psalm becomes such a positive and powerful way to connect with God because God reveals to us through his servant David that there is a common experience that is centuries old that looks an awful lot like what we're experiencing today. So as we collectively are drawn to God, we have a rescue of sorts that God reveals to us. He says, I can elevate you out of all of the things that you're experiencing and I can give you something that is above all else. That's the thing that I've tried to communicate as much as possible this year is don't lose sight of that which is above all else. Because there are so many things right now that are competing to be above all else in our lives. I'm not going to list them because even listing them, even talking about them can generate some negative feelings depending upon which side you're on. So suffice it to say, we all kind of get that there is some polarity with regard to how we're dealing with this. But there is something unique. There is something unique, and that is that which is above all else. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. God wants you to seek him above all else. God will indeed take care of us, sometimes not exactly the way we think, because sometimes the care that we end up receiving is not of this world. It's that God has prepared for us that which is eternal, and that is where we find our eternal relief and release 
from the struggles of this world. You may need some help with something. If you do, we want to do anything we can to help you. We have a list here of shepherds that would be happy to speak with you. Any of us on staff would be happy to. Let us know of any needs that you might have, whether it's to become a part of God's holy kingdom or whether it's the struggle that you experience being a part of that kingdom. Let's end our time together this morning with a prayer. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we come to you asking that we will indeed find you and place you above all else. Father, give us the freedom to move about soon, we pray. Father, give us relief from this virus. Father, give us relief from the shame or guilt or also the anxiety that we experience as you did David. As you delivered David and as you put him in a high place, Father, we look forward to the time that we experience that high place because you have called us your children and we know that you will one day take us to be with you eternally. Father, help us here and deliver us there. It's in your son's name I pray, amen. Have a blessed day.